We're in Galatians chapter 2 in week 4 of our series, Gospel 101. The title of today's message is simply this, the gospel to the Gentiles. The gospel to the Gentiles. Um, but we're going to pray before we get into it. I'll just let you know, my wife and family and I are heading on vacation this week to Florida. Um, if you need anything while I'm gone, uh, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Aaron are available and they're to you as need be. I do ask you this because I do try to get away during this time, unless it's a death or something, Please lean on those folks. Uh, on anything they can take care of, they will. So during this time, if you were, we're, we're going to be back by next Sunday. <clears throat> but I really, this is this is one of those not f- get away for fun vacations. This is like a get away, recharge, relax, and refocus vacations for us. And so, just want to let y'all know that um, and I, I appreciate you guys um, honoring that. But I will be slipping out today when I get done. Rainy's coming up to close out this morning. When I get done, I'm slipping out because. If I don't, we, we won't make it all the way down to Florida by tonight, and that's the plan. So I've got to do that. So anyway, I want to let you know I'm usually not the one to preach and dash, but I'm going to do that today. Heavenly Father, speak through your word. Use me. I pray that the spirit would control my thoughts and my words and my spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Just to highlight a couple of things, number one, We have said nearly every week as we've been in the book of Galatians that the unique thing about the Apostle Paul and his ministry was that he came to preach to the Gentiles. We're going to see that again today, and that's hence the title um, of the the sermon today, the gospel to the Gentiles. And so I want us to remember that that, Peter came uh, and was sent to preach to the Jews. We'll find that out. Paul sent to preach to the Gentiles. That became problematic. We've talked about it. We're going to continue talking about it. Another thing I wanted to highlight today, and that is one of the truths that we mentioned in closing from last week's sermon. Uh, We are going to see in today's text that 14 years goes by in Paul's life uh, before his visit to Jerusalem that we're going to talk about today. Now, some theologians believe Paul is mentioning 14 years after his conversion Uh, which is kind of where I lean. Others say it was 14 years after the three years and 15 days and things like that. Um, Doesn't really matter. That's just a a timeline uh, controversy there, and that's all good. Um, But Paul is going to tell in our text today the communication, the happenings, the back and forth that he has between the other apostles. Remember, this book is about his apostleship. Remember, his his apostleship was in question because he was not in person sent by Jesus out as a a, uh, tangible apostle. His experience with Jesus came on the Damascus Road. Paul brings with him on this trip one of his guys, one of his travel mates, one of his assistants. Obviously, Barnabas was with him, but he also brings with him Titus, and Titus is going to play a little bit of a key role. So Titus, I'm glad you're here today. Uh, He's going to play a key role um, in today's text. Can we read it together? Galatians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, follow along in your Bibles. If you do not, please open up an app on your phone maybe, or the verses will be on the screen for you. Verse 1, Galatians chapter 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. 
and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation. So he's saying here that he was told to go up by revelation. The Spirit of God led him to do this. And communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. I'm going to unpack that verse. Yet not even Titus, verse 3, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So these people that came in and spied out their liberty and wanted to find out things about Paul and his men, he said, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. We, we weren't listening to that. That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Verse 6. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. <clears throat> they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. There's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack in this segment, this text this morning. Don't let the language of the Bible hinder you from understanding the basic truths and what's going on in this text. This is the perfect example of a time when I'm studying my Bible that I will consult multiple versions um, of the Bible in order to get a clear understanding of what I am reading. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. I have a list of about five different Bible versions that I will look at to just get a take. Some of them word-for-word -word translations, other thought-for-thought -thought translations. And this is one of those difficult passages as far as the way the language is structured. Okay, so bear with us today as we, as we go through this. I want us to see as Paul goes to Jerusalem and he meets with church leaders and the other apostles. That's the, that's the setting. Okay, Paul's not been in Jerusalem. Now he comes to Jerusalem. Those men are there, Peter, James, John. Other apostles are there. Peter is now coming to meet them. And we're going to talk about what happens. Number one, I want us to see this in our text today, the validation of the gospel. The validation of the gospel. The first two verses in our text, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. I went up, verse 2, by revelation, communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Here's what, here's what he's saying. Paul says, I took my boys with me. This is the 2023 version. 
Now, I took my boys, Barnabas and Titus, to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit told me to. I was led by the Spirit to do that. By the way, we see in Paul's ministry, he's both led by the Spirit to do things. He's also led by the Spirit not to do things. We see it clearly throughout Paul's ministry. He preached the gospel message. He, what he did is he gathered around some reputable spiritual leaders of that day. And he gathered them in a group and he said, guys, basically he said this. I'd like to present the gospel to you, the truth of the gospel that I've been preaching. And I would like, for lack of a better word, I would like to give you the ability to pick it apart. So I'm going to call you in the room. And I'm going to preach the gospel to you as if you are the Gentiles that I'm preaching to. And I want to make sure, look what he says in the verse, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. I don't want to be preaching. I don't want to give my life to this and not be right. That's a fair point. So Paul understood that the message he was preaching was controversial, remember? He understood that many would not accept it, especially Jews. He also understood the complexities of preaching this message even to the Gentiles. Remember, people did not even believe that Paul was a true apostle. So Paul says, okay, I'm going to go to Jerusalem where the true apostles are, and I'm going to give them the leadership and freedom in my life to give me feedback. Also, that Paul could validate that he is preaching the truth of the gospel. And here's what I say this morning. Paul, in my opinion, shows graceful humility here by willfully placing himself under the authority of spiritually reputable people to listen and ultimately validate his message. And may I say this, if any Bible teacher or preacher or leader this morning gets too big to seek theological help, to ask other people questions, to receive feedback and to receive questions, if any teacher or preacher gets too big to do that, in my opinion, they have slipped down the path of pride and we should follow them at an arm's length. I personally have people whom I often reach out to for advice and counsel, especially regarding difficult texts in Scripture, and it does nothing but help me. Ironically, I reach out to people, and then I have people that reach out to me. Just yesterday, I had a phone conversation, ironically, with a pastor in his early 60s who wanted to run a couple of things by me, and am I thinking right here, is this do you think this is the right way of approaching this and that? And I'm like, man, why are you calling me? I need to be calling you. But it showed humility and graceful humility on his part. As I prepared for this specific sermon today, there's a quote that I'm going to give you later on in the sermon. And I ran that quote by my friend Dustin Moore, who is a, my, one of my dearest friends, a pastor's up in Illinois. And I sent him my quote, and I said, pick it apart. And he did, because he does that. He's very good at that, and that's why I do it. Because I don't ever want to give anything to you that could be confused as not being rock solid. Does that make sense? I understand this morning that when I stand up here and I open up God's word, 
that I am literally opening up his letter and his story given to you. And I don't take that lightly. I don't take it lightly. I, will, I refuse to take his words and his letters and, 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 and Paul's letters and, and, and the entirety of Scripture. I, I, I refuse to take them and rip them from their context just to make my sermon sound better. I want to validate the truth. And here's what that's what Paul does. Ready to validate the truth. And may I say this this morning? I may not always have the answer to your question, but I want you to know you're in a church that welcomes questions. I have, we have connect groups, leaders in this room. You're in a church that welcomes questions. Here's the deal. Here's the only thing that I ever ask of you. If you ask a question to me, our elders, or any of our leaders, if you will give us the grace of let me get back to you on that one, we'll answer any question in the world. If you'll give us that grace. Like, don't catch me, like, in the corner, you know what I'm saying, where I'm like, oh, I don't have no idea what you're talking about. Give me some grace to do that, and I promise you there's not an answer. Listen, teenagers that are in this room, students in this room, Pastor Jeff has an open question. Ask him anything. Ask me anything. Ask your leaders anything. We would rather teenagers ask questions to spiritually, spiritually minded people. If they don't get their questions answered with spiritually minded people, they're going to get them answered by this culture and this world. And so questions are great. And Paul here says, listen, I'm going to willfully put myself under your authority. And I'm going to preach the gospel. Here are my, he's basically like, here are my sermon notes. Let me preach to you and you guys tell me. Man, what, what, what humility. What humility. And may we all... Keep that same mentality as we lead and as we teach and as we study God's word. So first of all, we see the validation of the gospel. Paul, led by the Spirit, travels to Jerusalem and is validated by the apostles, the quote-unquote real apostles, right? But secondly, I want us to see this, not just the validation of the gospel, I want us to see traditions and the gospel. And here's where I want you to lean in this morning. In this, in this second point, traditions and the gospel. Look at verse 3. We're just working through our text. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. This occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, and I'll skip the parentheses, verse 5, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Sometimes those, uh, qu those little uh, quotes can get out of context, therefore not careful. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. Here's what Paul does. <clears throat> as a part of his presentation of the gospel, this is what I believe. As a part of Paul's presentation of the truth of the gospel to the Gentiles, what was one of the truths to the gospel of the Gentiles, is that you did not need to be circumcised. To the Jew, you had to be circumcised on the eighth day. Like, you know, there was all these things. And so Paul brings what I believe, he brings his own sermon illustration. Now, I hope that sermon illustration didn't get too graphic. I hope they took his word for it, right? But, um, but he brings his own sermon illustration, and he says, this is Titus. Titus is, y'all. some of y'all are finally getting it. It's okay, you can laugh now. It's all good. This is Titus. 
man, this is a friend, this is a man that I led to the Lord. This is a, a he's a Greek, he's not a Jew. He's a follower of Jesus. Ask him his testimony. And he's uncircumcised. He didn't follow your tradition. So I believe Paul's bringing his very own sermon illustration. The Judaizers required strictly that practice of circumcision. But Paul says here, meet the man. Meet the man who's a follower of Christ who did not participate in that tradition. Paul was confronting the fact that the Jewish religious corps had evidently sent people down to Paul as he ministered to people to literally like spy on his ministry and say, hey, listen, this is what they're doing. They're bringing people to Christ without making them be circumcised. They're bringing people to Christ without making them follow this rule and this regulation and this tradition. Any spies in here this morning? That's all, I don't care if you are, but you know, sent from, sent from uh, the Judaizers to make sure we're preaching properly, right? But the contextual truth is this. Circumcision was not a requirement for salvation. I think we all could say amen to that, right? But let me just say this as well as, as we talk about traditions in the gospel. Circumcision was also not a requirement as a result of salvation. Stay with me. The contextual truth is that circumcision was not a requirement for salvation, and circumcision was also not a requirement as a result of salvation. So let me make this statement about traditions. This is the statement I sent to Dustin, and he, and he picked it apart, and we put it back together. You ready? Polluting the authentic gospel message includes extra-biblical requirements for salvation as well as extra-biblical requirements as a result of salvation. Listen very closely. You may think that's not a big deal. I want you to listen very closely to that. Polluting the gospel is saying in order for you to come to faith in Christ, you must be circumcised. That's pollution of the gospel. Another pollution of the gospel is anyone who truly is a follower of Jesus will be circumcised. That is also a perversion of the true gospel. So let me bring this to us today. You might say, well, I don't believe in work salvation. I don't believe in this or that. I don't think you have to do this or that to be saved. You just got to call on the name of Jesus. Okay, well, let me ask you this. What do you say as a result of? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk down the road with you. I'm going to walk down this road. Certainly, there are many things in Scripture. If you take the book of 1 John, these things that are written in you that you may know. If you take the book of James, faith without works is dead. Certainly there are biblical things that come along as a result of salvation. But they're biblical. Circumcision was not named in that. A list of things that churches all throughout this country and this world put as if you're truly saved, then you will or you will not. They don't, make, they don't make the first John cut. They don't make the book of James cut. And may I say that we are perverting the gospel when we say, well, if you're truly a believer, then you will start dressing. If you're truly a believer, then you will, and whatever that blank is, is extra biblical. We are putting traditions in with the gospel. 
And that, my friends, in my opinion, is a perversion and a pollution of the gospel. We can either believe that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything, or we don't. We can either believe that, or we don't. It was the pollution of the gospel for the Judaizers to require circumcision to be saved, as well as to require it because you are saved. Well, I just don't think that someone who names the name of Christ should blank. Whatever you put in that blank better be biblical. Whatever you put in that blank better be biblical. And it should, in my opinion, look something like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, which we'll go through in Galatians chapter 5 when we get there. It should look like texts throughout 1 John, which, by the way, are very difficult texts. It should look like the book of James. We better make sure that whatever we say in that blank is biblical because traditions, extra-biblical traditions, kill the authentic gospel. Listen to me. Extra-biblical traditions kill the authentic gospel. And it's important today. So we see that Paul validated the message he was preaching. We see that he didn't just validate. He brought along a sermon illustration. And he further made his point that traditions should not interfere with the gospel. And so thirdly this morning as we look into our text. We see teamwork in the gospel. Now, I hope you understand this. I'm a pastor and have been one for 17 years. I understand that the risk Paul was taking when he said, hey guys, come into this room. I'm going to present to you the gospel that I've been preaching and I want you to pick it apart. Believe me. That could have ended very differently. If you don't think pastors are opinionated, just look at the Asbury Revival. Lord have mercy on my soul. Buddy of mine texted me this morning because I'm not sure if I want to pray for a revival or not today. By the way, people are writing all over social media. I'm gonna, by the way, I'm going to be able to give you a state, my thoughts on that today because you know why? It comes in context of our sermon. How about that? If it wasn't in context of our sermon, I wouldn't give it to you and it wouldn't matter. Teamwork in the gospel. Look at verse 7. The risk Paul took was that they were going to come at him with arrows. That they were going to shut him down and his ministry was going to be invalidated. Look at verse 7. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, so the same person that worked in Peter uh, also worked in me. Verse 9, when James and Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go excuse me, go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. You know what happened is Paul humbled himself and he put himself underneath their authority and he preached the gospel to them and he, he said, guys, give me feedback and tell me where I'm wrong. What he actually did was he actually validated himself to them. He actually validated the truth of the gospel to them. And he completes this portion of the letter with 
an acknowledgement of his calling to the Gentiles and Peter's calling to the Jews, and not necessarily from Paul's perspective, but that those men affirmed that. Paul, you're being sent to the Gentiles. Peter and the rest of us are being sent to the Jews. May I say this? They both played important roles in the gospel being spread to the known world at the time. Both those to the Gentiles and both to the Jews. But they were unique. Paul was called to reach a certain audience. And Peter was called to reach a different audience. Their delivery was probably very different of the gospel truth. Their focus was probably on different details of the gospel. They probably went about it different ways because different hurdles needed to be stepped over depending on if you were a Jew or if you were a Gentile. But they were on the same team. In fact, they showed as much, and this is where we get this in our society and culture today, by that right hand of fellowship. If, if John and I were at odds and we were having words and, and you could see John was upset with me and I was upset with John, it's true. No, um, I'm right. I've been trying to tell him. No, and we were having words and, and, you're, and people are getting nervous, right? Ever been around people that are having words? It's like everybody, everybody gets nervous. It's like super awkward. Like take that somewhere else. Me and John are having words and everybody's kind of watching. But then you see this. You see us shake hands, everybody's like, all right, we're good. They're good. They're good. All my police officers here about coming to take me down. There you go. Andrew was ready, man. Andrew's ready to pounce, bro. He's ready. And John, I'm just going to tell you, I've already instructed him, pounce on you, not me. All right, cool. Um, but, uh, but, and if you try to get out, Lynn's back there. So we're, we're covered, man. Got you. No. But that right hand of fellowship, right, it, it, it shows that, hey, we're good. We're together. We agree on this. We are together on this. We have come together. And so while those who preached the gospel to the Gentiles and those, pre those who preached the gospel to the Jews were probably radically different, you know, one of them, the, the gospel to the Jews probably looked a whole lot like traditional church. Right? You've got to meet them where they're at. And the gospel to the Gentiles probably looked a whole lot like smoke and secular music before the service and crazy. But they were preaching to different people. And if I may this morning, both are necessary. Both are necessary. Not, I'm not trying to take this and, and apply it in any way it should be applied. I'm just saying both of them were necessary. By the way, we're going to find out when I pick the series back up, which is not going to be until the 12th of March. But when I pick the series back up, that Peter and Paul, pretty much immediately, you know what they have? A theological disagreement. You know what Paul does? He confronts Peter. We're going to talk about it. He confronts Peter. Actually, I'm not going to talk about it. Jeff will talk about it. That's right. I forgot. You got that one, buddy. It always seems to work that way, doesn't it, Jeff? No. Um, but uh, the let me see how I can work this difficult passage. That's Jeff's week. No. Um, but we're going to see they disagree. And the same Paul who said, Peter, will you come speak into my ministry and tell me what I'm doing wrong? That same Paul says, hey, Peter, I need to, I'm going to step in and I'm going to, I'm going to question this. I'm going to confront you about this. They disagreed. They challenged each other, but they were ultimately on the same team. They understood that different players 
on the team perform different roles on the team. Listen, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback to ever play the game of football. You can hate him. Or love. Whoa. It's just the truth, Dave. Um, but he's the greatest quarterback to ever play the game of football. You can hate him or you can love him. He's the greatest quarterback ever. The numbers say. But may I say this? If you line Tom Brady up at running back, Tom Brady becomes the worst running back in the history of the NFL. And can I say this? That Tom Brady functions in his role, not anymore, retired, but he functioned for many years in his role. And he had other people that functioned in their role, and that is such the body of Christ. We learn about it throughout the New Testament. We learn of the teamwork. If everybody were the eye, where would the hearing? If everybody were the ear, where were the seeing? We all have different roles. This church has, different, has a different role, honestly, than maybe some other churches, and that's okay. I know there are some churches that are very, that have different focuses and different things, and that's, that's okay. It's not my job. At the end of the day, it was Peter's job and Paul's job to say we're different, but we're brothers. We're not twins, but we're brothers. And so Paul travels to Jerusalem. Paul puts himself under their leadership. Paul is validated by the leaders. Paul and Peter are able to shake hands and say, we're going to work on this together. I believe this is in context of what's going on in Asbury, Kentucky, as far as I see it. Now, let me just say this. If you've never, if you've not heard of anything that's going on um, in, at Asbury University there in Kentucky, used to be Asbury College, I think, and recently become Asbury University. If you're unfamiliar with it, um, a week and a half ago, Wednesday, so it would be two weeks this coming Wednesday, they have a normal chapel service. Chapel service ends. A girl comes up at the end of chapel service, and I may have some of these details wrong, but in a nutshell, she asks for prayer. A couple of people stay behind and pray with her. Before you know it, the students who had left, they were still in there. Some of those students that are praying with her, some of the students that left begin to come back, and they begin to pray together as a student body. And before you know it, it had gone on through Thursday, and it had gone on through Friday, and then it started gaining, in the day and age that we live in, through social media, it gained a lot of press. CNN has covered it. Fox News has covered it. Um, every opinionated Christian that's heard about it has covered it in their own little news cycle, um, which is funny. You may not have the same type of uh, social media friends that I do, and if you don't, praise the Lord for you. Um, but uh, let me tell you two extremes that I've seen. And I think it can help us. As, and if you don't know anything about Asbury Revival, great. Look at, you should look it up. It's really incredible. Here are the two extremes I've seen. I've seen the first extreme is that any wind or hearing of, of God doing anything, people will blindly thrust themselves into the middle of it and champion it as if they have something to do with it. If you, I mean, i got personal friends of mine that have done that, that are currently doing that. That's unwise. What does the Bible tell us to do? Try the spirits, test the spirits to see if they're of God. You can't try the spirits 
by rushing into something and trying to claim it and make it bigger and make your, yourself some sort of part of it. Can't do that. On the other hand, I've had people, church leaders, for a variety of reasons say, well, they don't believe this properly and they don't believe that properly and they didn't cross this theological T and dot this theological I properly. Have you seen some of the students that go to that university? God is not moot. That is not revival because revival would begin with them repenting of all of those things. And just as I use scripture For this person over here, I'll use Paul in Philippians chapter 1. Wherever the gospel is preached, I rejoice and I will rejoice. And may I say this this morning? As I believe is often the biblical thing to do, as we walk the road of being a follower of Jesus in a biblical sense, there are ditches on both sides of the road. And I believe as a biblical Christian... I should not find myself exploiting this revival for any sort of personal gain or personal attention. And I should test the spirits. And we will see. On the other hand, man, when I hear of 18 to 22 year olds on their knees, listen, confessing sin over a microphone, and Begging God to move in their generation and asking God to cleanse their heart? Boy, who am I? Who am I to get in the way of that? We have something we've been saying around here for a couple years now. God can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, with whomever he chooses to do it. So you say, Josh, what are your thoughts on the Asbury Revival? May it spread. May it. May we have. A, may we have personal revival. May the college campuses that we have students. May 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 Jasmine at App State. May the student body at App State experience. I don't want to start listing names of colleges. I just. That was dumb, Josh. Come on. And every other college represented by anyone who possibly attends our church. There. I want to see it move. Can I be real? I'm 40 years old. I know I don't look it. Um, And I have to be honest. In my 40 years of of living, I don't believe I have experienced anything like that. Like a revival in that sense. There have certainly been times in my life where I know that God is working in me personally. But as far as something corporate, I mean, believe me, I've been to several scheduled revival meetings that wanted me that made me angry because I was a teenager and I had to miss my sports games for it. Because my dad was a pastor, I know all this all this goes. And it's like, really, are we really going on another night of this? Yeah, we scheduled it. Okay, well, good. Hope the Holy Spirit's working on our schedule. No, here's the thing. I want my girls. I want my wife. I want myself. Man, I got older parents, man. I would love for my 79-year-old dad and my 
my 26-year-old mom to, uh, to see a generation way, way younger than them revive for Jesus. You know why? Because Peter and Paul look differently. And they preach differently. And they had to overcome different obstacles to get the truth across about their message. But they shook hands. And they're shaking hands and literally in the next verse, Paul's going to say, hey Peter, I need to talk to you about some issues with your doctrine. But they shook hands. Listen, I've tried to look up some of the stuff about Asbury University and their doctrinal statements. And from the little that i found, there's a couple of things I would do differently. Okay. Okay. I'll shake your hand. Because I'm for you. Because I'm for revival. Not blindly. Not ignorantly. But I'm for it. I mean, I say this. There's not, a, there's not an adult in this room who has adult children who wouldn't say, Boy, if God would revive the 18 to 30-year-olds, man. And that's my take. So the gospel to the Gentiles, maybe this should have been the gospel to the students of the universities experiencing revival. Guess what? Paul is going to present this gospel a little bit differently. It's going to sound a little more contemporary, and it's going to be a little bit different. But it's okay. We're going to shake hands. And we're going to be for it. If you've never experienced, not a, not a revival in the sense of, hey, listen, we were going to leave at 1107, and here we are at, at you know, 307, still in here praying. Listen, if God ever wants to do that, please take the reins. I'm here. But if you've never experienced in your own heart the initial revival, which is the gospel, it's the good news that Jesus loves you so much. That he would not leave you in your sin, but that he came to this earth and he died for your sin. And he was buried and he rose again on the third day to claim victory over your sin. He loves you so much. If you've never experienced that for yourself, I mean, this is exactly what Paul and Peter and all these men were discussing. How to properly give that truth to the known world. And listen, that's what I as a pastor wrestle with every single Sunday. Is how do I take this book, and no matter what this book is talking about, how do we come together at the end and say, Jesus loves you so much that he died for you? Have you repented of your sin? Have you believed that good news that Jesus died for you and that he loves you and that he's prepared a place for you and that he wants to be your father? If you've never believed that this morning, may today be the day. I'm not going to ask you to come forward this morning. We've already come forward. We're praying for people. I'm not going to ask you to come forward today. I'm not going to ask you to embarrass yourself in any way. I am going to ask you in your heart this morning, if you've never believed on the name of Jesus, that today be the day that you believe on his name. Why? Because the gospel had to go to the Jews and the gospel had to go to the Gentiles. Because the gospel needs to go to those ages 50 and older and the gospel needs to go to college campuses. Because the gospel needs to be clearly presented to middle schoolers as well as grandparents. Heavenly Father, work. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. 
If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.